You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Doing some gardening in spring Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, first up I have to say a very good morning to A.B. Bishop, morning A.B. Oh, good morning Pam, good morning everyone, very exciting to be here, it wasn't as cold this morning getting up. Look it's it definitely, we've turned a corner I think, even though we could still get a few heavy frosts. Um, I do feel like we've turned a corner. We're yes, getting sunny we days. We definitely and are, and people are um, posting pics of almond trees and whatnot in blossom on Instagram. So, you know, it, it's definitely happening. But, uh, yeah, I didn't have to put as many layers on this morning, and I wasn't cursing you as loudly as I usually <laughs> do during the winter. Thank you. So, <laughs> but, no, it's, it, it's been good and getting a slight, slightly bit lighter as well, but um, still very dry, as we all know, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Oh, yes. And my first daffodil is about to open. Oh, really? <laughs> I've got them all up everywhere all over the garden, thanks to our good friend Robert down in uh, Phillip Island. <coughs> yep. But my first one is about to open. Oh, so. that's exciting. It is. Yeah, yeah. Definitely but, yeah. spring. Absolutely. Which means the workload is really about to start. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because with this lack of rain, um, the weeds are subdued as well. That's so, I mean, right. that, I mean, sure, we've got to get out and water the garden a bit, but um, you know, the um, the stinging nettles, which I know lots of people use, and you know, they post pics of, oh, well, these aren't weeds. I'm out harvesting them for dinner, and I do try, and Ray tries, and he puts them in scrambled eggs, and I, you know, pick them every now and again and um, make stock out of them. But really, to me, they are weeds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but even they they are subdued, and they're not, you know, doing their usual zoom out of the ground trick. They're just kind of sitting there at about twenty centimetres going, mm, not sure about this. Um, so definitely due to the lack of rain. Yep, yeah, definitely. So, so the, we- the weeds are slightly more controllable. Yep, yep. We have to also say a very good morning to John Arnott. Good morning, John. G'day, Pam. Hey, folks. How are we? We're good. Yeah, We're that's good. 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 I guess Cranbourne hasn't been hit by any frost, so do you, oh, you wouldn't no. get any down there? We have had Ooh, some good have frosts. Have seen the photos? Yeah, yeah, we've had some good frosts. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Just um, on Banksia. Indeedy. Indeedy doodly. <laughs> we haven't, um, we've almost forgotten at Cranbourne to how to garden in frosty conditions. Okay. And we fell for the old three-card trick. We pruned a few things oh. kind of out of season, rolling the dice that we weren't going to get some frost. This is in the Gondwana garden, which yes, has got right. lots of subtropical and east coast rainforest species. Yep. Um, we put a canopy of, which was a really good technique to do, we put a canopy of silver wattles over the top to create some microclimate mm. for, for the more tender, but they were getting a little bit too big and we thought if we don't get them out now... It's going to be a much, much bigger task. Silver wattles just go bang. Oh, yes, they, you know, yep. they, they make a small tree very quickly. So we thought, okay, well, we'll pull them out now. And we pulled a whole heap out to 45 or 50 trees. Gosh. Opened up a bit of light and it was felt like the right thing to do until we had those frosts. Oh, Damn. Yeah. So we felt so that. So even experts can get it wrong. Oh, oh absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> and, it, and it was really not in, on our radar. Yeah. That, 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 you know, because we typically, over the last few winters, you know, you might get a cold morning or two, but yeah. but we had that, they were proper frosts. Wow! As in, you know, zero, and you know, not com- 
comparatively, some areas of Victoria got very, very, very cold. Yes. You know, into the minuses. Minus yeah, yeah, yeah. Four, five, six, well, I was saying that, that a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I mean, I got minus three in Eltham mm. on a Sunday minus, morning. Minus three. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was the one that did the damage, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Yes. It's well, done a lot of damage. But I think it was the back-to-back. I think we had a Saturday morning followed yes. by a Sunday morning yes. three, four weeks back. Yes. And uh, it, it's that kind of back-to-back. Mm. Um, yeah, so, no, we've mm. experienced... So what got damaged down there? Uh, well, the, the, the... It's always interesting to see what does and what doesn't. Lots of, lots of the leafy subtropical rainforest plants. Yeah. I mean, they've just got a burnt off, so they're not in trouble. Yeah. Um, the Kaikuyu lawn is spectacular. Oh. Um, because it is, it's it's a brown lawn. It's it's kind of beautiful. I don't mind a brown lawn. Where is um, the lawn down now? Uh, it's the Ian Potter lawn at the northern end of the gardens. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's a. Oh yes. So there's yeah. a Hamathria lawn, which is interesting. The Hamathria lawn being the Australian grass. Yes. Uh, green as anything. Did yep. not not frost affected at all. Um, but the Kaikuyu lawn is is a, a, a it's almost straw coloured. Mm. Um, it hasn't killed it. No. But, um, but it's it's. It's branded off really, really okay. significantly, uh, and then look just bits and pieces of you know flushes of new growth um, on a, on a number of things. I don't think we've got anything which has been killed to date. A few things in the ephemeral garden, kangaroo paws are you know blackened. Mm. You know, mm. So it was a yeah. yeah, cold, cold, cold. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yes, it, under normal circumstances and for the past. You know, I'm coming up for 10 years at Cranbourne. Yes, yes, you would be. And this is the first time that we've had that kind of frost damage right? Um, in the 10 years that I've been there. Yeah. Um, so no wonder you felt comfortable pruning the acacias. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was no just... No problem whatsoever. Yeah. Um, that's what we thought. Mm. That's what we thought. Um, but the acacias have worked really well. It was a really good technique. The Gondwana Garden, uh, it's the aim of the Gondwana Garden is to display rainforest species and species with ancient origins. So mm. typically things that come from uh, either warmer subtropical rainforest environments or cool temperate, um, high altitude, high rainfall environments. So um, protected, needing, yes, needing yeah. a level of protection yep. that, that we couldn't afford in the first instance. So yep. we had all these plants that we put in in the, in the first um, iteration of that planting that were just sulking. Yeah. They were yellow and sad looking things. Right. So we thought we've got to create some microclimate in here and we'll do that with silver wattles. Mm. We planted them about 18 months ago, two years ago, and they've made small trees um, and really, really nicely dried out the soils because some of our um, sands at Cranbourne are quite water attentive. Yes. So we were, it, 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 it was the cold, wet winters thing that was really knocking... Um, some of the plants around, mm. um, and the silver waters were really good. They were pumping water out of the soil and creating shade and uh, protection from the winds mm. and things like that. So it was, it was really, really good, and we've retained quite a lot of trees still in there. Okay. Um, but we thought we were thin, and we just thinned at the wrong time. Mm. So what's going to be the upper canopy now? What's coming through? Um, oh, look, there's a bunch of things. It's, it's probably, the in terms of tree species, it's the most diverse area in the garden, yep. um, reflecting on kind of rainforest environments being, you get, you get a lot of diversity in the, in the tree, tree canopy. Yep. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's things like the, the sort of the garden plant end, there's lily pillies and... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, things like Illawarra flame trees, brachychitons, yep. and but there's also a b- bunch of uh, you know Nothophagus, mm. uh, a couple of species of Nothophagus, and mm. um, you know some really interesting, some some re- really interesting rainforest plants. Mm. Um, 
and uh, but it, it, it'll be the garden that probably evolves the most. Yeah. Um, because the aim of the garden is to have closed canopy rainforest, and it, it's nothing like that at the moment. No. Um, so we've got we've got lots of lush looking plants that are tolerating the conditions, and over time it'll the composition of this the species composition will completely change. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that the lovely thing about gardens? Oh yes. Is that they're not set and forget. That makes it that, exciting. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It it really does. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 So the Gondwana Gardens are it's a a really interesting, it's a really interesting it's a hor- series of horticultural challenges. Yeah. Um, and yet yeah, you never, ever, ever stop learning. You know, stimulus mm. and response, ouch, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. We must say a very good morning also to Loretta Charles. Good morning, Loretta. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. And um, I guess you would have got frost. No. No, no. you're too high. Damn, Damn you. Oh, you're yeah, above. Too high. I hate to tell you're, you this, you're above but... It. We are She's very cheeky. All. We're so far above it all, and uh, nothing. We just we wow. also we're on big hill. Uh, where we are is exactly top of the um, the range. They're overlooking the Yarra Valley, and yep. it's called Big Hill, and it's um, just always got that little bit of movement there. Not to, I mean, we get our winds and whatnot, but this is just a bit of movement, and it just doesn't settle. So I there hate to tell you, but no nothing. <laughs> no wonder so, she's got a grin on her face. I know, I'm sitting here very smug. <laughs> yes. I, I, needless to say, I've been leaving home at very, very early, working down in Roeville. So I have been going to work in the dark, coming home in the dark, and uh, really uh, hating those freezing mornings of oh, minus yes. one, minus two, minus one, minus two. I'm getting a bit bored. Can you get above minus? Yeah, please. <clears throat> so this degree. morning I'm sort of like, whoa, it's hot. It's 12 degrees. <laughs> yeah, it was balmy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, very hot. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. So can I ask you what you're working on in Roeville? Um, another childcare centre. Okay. Oh, nice. but You're um, making a real name for yourself. Oh, well, yeah. I'm not trying to. <laughs> I get lured into these things. But this one is a bit... Um, it's a bit of a challenge because what we normally do, we go in and we rip out all the concrete and all the turf and all those things and we create natural... Landscapes mm-hmm. for the childcare. Um, the owner of this childcare centre, they and it's a brand new building. It's actually apartments, uh, three stories high okay. on Stud Road. Oh, pretty full on. Yes. So, what we've had to do, she didn't realise that it was a new concrete slab. Thinking, oh, we'll just get rid of that. It was an underground car park below oh. it. Oh, no. So it was a little bit of a problem there. <laughs> oh. So the only natural ground we had was the frontage, which was about 40 metres long and about oh, six, seven metres wide. So that's where we've put our main sand pits with all our rocks mm-hmm. and all our natural plantings, um, primarily um, native. With, with, you know, we like to do mazes and things with our um, pyrus and whatnot. So the kids, they're tough. You know, you yeah. put in you put in some little um, alacasurinas, and the kids, it's not going to happen. They're a little bit soft, so <laughs> they're they're nice and tough. But we're creating a, a rooftop garden instead. Okay. okay, that's that's what we're naming it. So okay. we're putting in large corrugated iron wicking beds. Okay. Right, and they're going throughout all shapes and sizes, and we're making divisions with them and. They're going to be planted out this week. Okay. Oh, you how know. much? How much soil medium? Uh not a lot. Not because a lot. No. We, because what we have is um, a weight issue. Sure. With the yes. cantilevered slab. Yes. So we've been having to add up 
how many by how mm. many and height. And so we've, we've only been able to go 400 deep. Oh, that's okay. Which, you know, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and up to a metre and a half in diameter or two metres long by a metre wide. Okay. And okay. So they're substantial beds. Yes. Uh, and in amongst that we do uh, sensory paths. So our sensory paths consist of some stone, uh, then you might have some pebble, and then you'll have, uh, we've got little um, eucalypt rounds, 50 centimetres by 50 centimetres, and they're put in in amongst um, the paths. And uh, what else? I'm trying to think what else we actually have. Um, uh, oh, and we've, we've actually done a lot of spotted gum decking. Okay. Okay. Just to create, just to get rid of our concrete. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, go um, So that's, that's pretty exciting. And yeah. um, it's, it's really, I'm just, I've been going to Roeville, everyone, for uh, six weeks and I'm near the end. So. Do you call it naturescaping? What do you, what do you call it, landscaping? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I actually call myself a builder. I'm, okay. I'm building, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm building from scratch where everything on the, it's sort of, we've got beautiful iron bark, um, slatted work around the place, making divisions. We tried, we don't use rainforest material because mm-hmm. we just feel it's not right. Yep. And, um, and also introducing your client to those concepts of, oh, oh, you know, can we get some merbu decking? Well, we don't, no, don't do that. No, don't so, touch merbu. You know, all the way, all, you're sort of teaching and, uh, I think it's really exciting. So. I've never really known. I'm, ass- I'm assuming the issue with merbu is that it's coming out of um, forests that have high conservation right. biodiversity That's values. Right. Is that is that the exactly. issue? Yeah, yes. mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And it, it's a timber that bleeds okay. terribly in the weather, so you get this horrible bleeding around it. Whereas, and you, you certainly, I can say it's it's boring <laughs> in the, in respect to our beautiful spotted gums. Have got such beautiful, beautiful. Um, detail in them. Mm. So, it, it's, yeah. it's interesting. We had um, the friends about a month ago had a, a useful plants day mm-hmm. uh, and they had some wood wood turners and I'll just have a look at the name of the fella who came and spoke to us. He was great. It was uh, uh, Hartley Tobin from Wonthaggy Woodies. Okay. And he, and he talked about all the different properties of wood and timbers and stuff mm. like that. He was well into it. Yep. Um, yeah. So tim- people that know that know and love their timbers. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was really. He was like really. He he. Inth- he was inspired by by yeah. wood. Yes. Like yeah. quite literally. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a we- good skill that to be able to yes. identify what timber is, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Loretta definitely has that skill. She, she can wander yeah. around a timber yard and that's that and that's that. Can you really? Well, a little Just bit. based on I, the properties. I mean, look, it's interesting because a chap turned up on site. He got on to my partner and said, um, oh, we have this terrific um, timber in replace of merbu or spotted gum. And it's, it's, you know, it's a hundred times harder and it's this, I mean... You know, our, our our timbers are so, so strong. Mm. Um, anyway, and he came and he did a de- demonstration for decking and whatnot. And it took him a while as I'm pursuing him and I'm saying, well, but where does it come from? Oh, Peru. Oh, Peru. <laughs> yes. And I'm right. thinking. Wow. And, and he says, oh, but you know what? We only take one tree per hectare. Oh, yes. Now I'm thinking to myself, gee, that doesn't really sound commercially viable. No. One tree per hectare for me. Yep. But then one tree per hectare for the person next door too. So mm. and mm. travel costs and, and oh, oh, yeah, energy yeah, and yeah. Yeah. exactly. So exactly. Peru so said sorry. 
See you later. No Peru wood. No Peru no wood. No Peru wood. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the kids' environment is a challenging one, isn't it, to, yes. to, to grow plants in? It so is. Is it, that's been trial and error and you've worked out what works and what doesn't? And oh, yeah. Over, I over. mean, the good old Lamandras are hard to go by yeah. and yep. uh, we do a lot of allocasurinas as well. We do forests of those. Um, all in all, what what we put in, we really haven't had... I mean, even the Corriers, it's just where you place it's them. It's where you place them, yeah. And uh, because I do large rock mounds that they climb up into the, to get into the sand pits and slide down slides... Yep. And uh, so there's a lot of challenges within it all. Are you able to um, control where the kids sort of go and don't through planting and, and, the, and the judicious places of placement of rocks and things Absolutely. like that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's clever. No, it's, it's, it's a challenge. But look, I'm only looking at this is my fifth one. Okay. And um, I sort of feel... Yeah, a little bit more relaxed this time. I, I feel like, like I know what I'm doing. That's handy. <laughs> and I think you're, ch- you're changing <coughs> kids' lives because they yep. go from these oh, – I see photos all the time and they go from these sterile plastic environments <coughs> to yep. these incredible sensory areas. And, you know, Loretta and her business partner, Julie, they design for um, different age groups within the same centre. Okay. So, you know, you'll yep. have your, your bubs up to whatever, nine months or mm. a year, and then you have your, your toddlers and whatever, and they've all got their different requirements, you know, different depth sand yeah. pits and, yes. and those sorts of things. Yeah. And um, the, the things that you're coming up with is, mm. is absolutely incredible, yeah, you know, right. different um, areas for mud play mm. and, yeah, yes. you know, just um, even it sounds a little bit weird, but those concrete dragons Loretta was showing me yesterday and they're, they're embedded into these like um, fairy garden areas where the kids can sit and have storytelling and everything so these sleeping dragons <coughs> are there in this massive pile of pebbles and, the, and they're all stumps. concreted down yeah right. so <laughs> they, they can't be taken out and thrown yeah. around the place but it just adds that element of whimsy and mm. you know you can just see the excitement with these kids you well, know. Well the stringy bark we do stringy bark teepees. Nice. So they're, they're sort of four four metres long. They're really, really big. And we leave all the bark on them. All the them. loose material. Yeah. It's all about them. We know eventually a couple of years down the track they'll be stripped. Yeah, yeah. totally. But, yeah. you know, it's just wonderful. <clears throat> you can already see them. You oh, know. Yeah. And think back to your own childhood. Like we, mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in South Africa and my sister and I, well, my sister especially was well into bird watching, and I was well into building the cubbies to allow her to do the bird watching. So we were just always building these teepees. And it's also not only to watch the birds, but, you know, to have that little sense of, you know, your own space and hiding from the grown-ups and everything. So I can see why your teepees are so Mm, popular. What what, what I think is so exciting is not just the fact that you're constructing these amazing gardens, but the fact that... People like the the powers that be, the directors of the the childcare centres, yes. the the governing parental board or whoever, mm. that they are actually seeing the value yeah. of, seeing of nature sense. play, yes. and they're yes. they're wanting these constructed. We're, so we're, we're changing <coughs> our thinking finally. We finally, we we had years, we had decades of risk adverse yes. landscapes. Oh, yes. You know, we wouldn't have anything which was loose or anything that could possibly be yeah. constituted as a risk. Yes. Yes. And our landscapes became um, sterile. Totally. Completely, Absolutely. completely, you just don't interact with them. Yeah. You might look at this a green wallpaper. Yes. So yeah. we ended up with green wallpaper everywhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's been a real shift, and it's happened in the last. 
I don't know, it's, it's accelerated over the yeah. last five years. It has, it And has. we're getting good at it. And people are, um, the, the director of this, the owner, Joe. she's pursued the insurance companies. And she, what she's done, she's pursued it in respect to education versus risk. Risk benefit. And that benefit is yep. the thing that she's pursued. And she's got it through. And, I mean, the rocks that are going in these cubbies and um, sand pits, it, it's fantastic. And, I mean, I use rock that has sort of – it's a, a honey granite and it's a beautiful soft edged rock, no sharp corners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I work on all of those. And we have our fall zones and the yep. things and finger entrapment and tripping hazards. Exactly. And you we, don't want we to be work reckless. With it. We work with no. it. Um, but still they have to, with the babies, they have to have a sand pit on concrete. So we've got two wicking beds, corrugated iron, two metres long by a metre wide. And we've built a little um, incl- surround. So we've framed it in. And then we've put a, um, a ramp uh, about a metre and a half wide by two metres long that goes up to them. And then that's going to be in the turf, so not as in um, unnatural turf, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, and they can crawl up there, but on either side you've got a metre and a half where they could fall 400 down to the ground. So we've got varying sizes from 400 in diameter to roughly half a metre uh-huh. and smaller uh, logs. And all the logs have been, they've all been sanded and they're soft and they're all at different levels. And the director came in and she said, is that for the babies? And I went, and she said, that's fantastic because they're going to be crawling up and they should be crawling up. Yes. So it's sort of, um, that's just a bit of a new one. It's nice. Because with the wicking bed, what you've got is you've got your 100 mil of scoria at the base that goes up to where your water um, irrigate um, where it comes out of and yep. then you get your uh, geotextile fabric over that and then 300 of sand because the babies aren't going to dig down that, mm. low. that low with your no, other sand right. pits with the kids you have to be 500 deep but yep. so you know water comes and it sits in the bottom of that uh, scoria and sand's not too sloppy and it's all working for us we Looks hope at the sun. and there's so many um <clears throat> Uh, well, there's a growing number of um, Australian sort of research um, that goes into, you know, p- kids being outside and how it relates to well-being, and then how it relates to them being able to learn. And so, setting them up early in yep. life yeah. is just key, isn't Absolutely. it? It's key to their learning yep. um, and opportunities for for the rest of their life. So, why Definitely. wouldn't you put as much as you can, as much thought and effort as you can into creating these incredible environments. I talked to a lot of different uh, schools and um, so many of them are just, you know, going full out. They're employing um, people full time to work with them on outdoor programs, mm. Mm. Yep. you know, so for all age groups, not just for the littleies, not just for the early learning mm. centres, but, you know, for the whole the whole way through to year 12, what can we get from the environment and what can we get from our own grounds and how can we incorporate learning into being outside mm-hmm. more? Yep. And, and remembering these little ones, in actual fact, they are at these places for a very large part mm. of the days That's right. and the weeks. Mm. Yep. You know, they're arriving. I worked in childcare many, many moons ago when I was 19 and I was horrified in Fitzroy I was working and the little ones coming in at 6.30 in the morning and being picked up at 7 o'clock at yeah. night. Yes. And, and it's always stayed with me and with my four children. I've, I've tried to be there all the time because um, I remember at 12 months of age telling these professional parents, and good on them, but coming in and saying, you know, 
Sammy walk today to me. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, and it really stayed with me as a 19-year-old. Yes. It did affect me. And um, so I I sort of maybe I do go back to those days. Here I am now, 45 years later. (laughs) 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 Well, it's fabulous. No, it is. It's great. It's it's wonderful. um, There's kind of the Bush Kinder movement is is a really good one as well. We've been... The, the Cranbourne Gardens was um, doing some of that, that early work, if you call it early work, on, on bush kinders. And, you know, I think we've got 20 groups mm. in that order mm. that roll up into the bushland. They're, they're all preschool yep. um, and interact with. And, and it's, it's a little bit challenging because you, you actually need to facilitate that. Mm. You need to, um, in as much as, you know, control where that happens. Um, you know, it's a very big site, and so you know. But that's really all we do is we 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 put some parameters around where to go, yes, but not what to do, yes, necessarily. Yeah, mm. yeah. and um, yeah, it's 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 fantastic to see all these. You know, groups just doing unstructured stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, pick, it's, pick. it's big overseas as well, isn't it? Like Netherlands and and even yep. UK. You yep. know, there's yep. you see read stories all the time about yeah kids outside and oh my goodness they're not wearing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the lovely thing, and this was it was serendipitous, but you could have picked it. The Rockpool Waterway at the Cranbourne Gardens was never designed to be a water play area. Yes. Um, there was a, a an article six months ago <laughs> that said, surprise. "Yeah, surprise, surprise." We know what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, there was an article six months ago that said um, that the Rockpool Waterway is in the top ten uh, water play areas in Melbourne, <laughs> and it was never designed Brilliant. as such. But, yeah. um, but those sort of square flagstones, and, and again, we have to control it because yes. there's inherent. Um, what happens with the, the Rockport waterways? Is you can get a little algal film, yes, uh, and it becomes you know really slippery. So, mm, so we yes, do have to yes. control where it happens. Yep. So it's you know safe in parentheses. Swim between the flags. Swim between the flags. Yeah. yeah. So it's using some of that quirky yep. um, uh, interpretive mm. opportunities, but that is just such a and um, possibly not the minus two mornings, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just about any 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 yeah. day of. Any yeah. week, yeah. So it's mostly local kindies and stuff coming. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So individual people will come just for the water play. Yeah, opportunities yep. for little yep. kids. Yeah, wonderful. It is. It's really, really lovely. You should okay. be using some of those acacias to make um, teepees out of. Yeah, that you just in, the, down. in the water. Yeah, <laughs> in the water. Yeah, cover all bases. Do, do the full <laughs> immersion. Both races. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, it's high time I invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to. Uh, phone in and ask a gardening question this morning or make some comment about what we're talking about, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. This morning we have A.B. Bishop, Loretta Childs and John Arnott in the studio, so do give us a call. I will instantly get to some community announcements, which we do need to cover uh, first up, um, our good friends out at the Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group have got their next meeting coming up on Friday, August the 4th, so next Friday, 7.45pm. Now, the guest speaker will be Philip Vaughan from Pomonal near the Grampians. He's drawing on 30 years' experience and Phil will be speaking on the topic of growing Australian plants. Phil will also bring for sale an array of glorious Australian plants, including many plants rarely available in nurseries and grafted Western Australia plants, including Eremophila, Darwinia, Verticordia and Pimelia. 
Now the venue is the main hall, Raleigh Road Activity Centre, it used to be the RSL there, uh, that's at 54 Raleigh Road in Maribyrnong. If you'd like more information about that you can contact the Secretary Anne and her number is 9336 that's 9336 Now uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have uh, been running uh, botanical workshops each year with Marley Moore. They've got another botanical art workshop coming up in August. It comprises of four sessions of two and a half hours each. The medium will be watercolour paint and or watercolour pencils. Small class size. Now these workshops are for friends of Burnley Gardens members plus friends and it includes the opportunity to have your botanical illustrations included in a soon-to-be-published book on Burnley Gardens. Now it's starting on Wednesday the 9th of August then also on the 16th, the 23rd and the 30th of August. So that's uh, four Wednesdays running right through August. Now the time is 10am through to 12.30 so it's a to the total for the four sessions for members of the Friends Group $200, for non-members $240. Uh, the address is Quad 4 at Burnley Campus. Uh, parking, there's a rear car park <laughs> off FR Smith Drive there. Now bookings of course are essential. Uh, you need to phone Janine. Her number is 0412-097-068. So that's 0412-097-068. And uh, bookings and payment in full must be made by Friday the 4th of August. So uh, you do need to get onto that if you'd like to take part in those workshops. Uh, now also down at uh, Cranbourne, John, uh, you've got an art exhibition on at the moment, Native Seduction. Native Seduction. Yes. It's all about um, pollination. Or orchids and pollination. Yes. Mm. Yes, sounds absolutely fantastic. It's running the whole of August, yep. uh, which is wonderful. Uh, so it's on display daily in the visitor centre, and as I said, for the whole of the month of orchid of August, not orchids. Um, <laughs> oh, there's some orchids in there as well. <laughs> I bet there is. <laughs> the paintings have been created by the Botanical Illustrators Group of the Cranbourne Friends. Uh, works also by several of their tutors is included, and a variety of mediums and techniques have been used, including watercolour, coloured pencil, pen and ink, and oil. All paintings are for sale and commission from the sales goes to supporting the Cranbourne Gardens. Now, in conjunction with that, there is going to be an afternoon talk coming up on Sunday 13th of August and this is Fascination of Orchid Pollination with Mitch Smith. Do you know Mitch at all? Uh, no, John? I know of Mitch and um, I'm hoping to get along uh, Sunday week. Yes. Yeah, it, it is Sunday week, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. yes 13th. Yeah, yeah. And now the time is 2 o'clock till 3.30. It'll take place in the Australian Garden Auditorium there at Cranbourne. Uh, and it's all about plants needing pollinators. He's entitled the talk Sex, Lies and Seduction, which is a pretty good title, <laughs> I think. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, Mitch Smith has no formal training. He's a self-professed ecologist environmentalist. Um, he's done some groundbreaking work with uh, Rudy Cooter on Victoria's uh, orchid pollinators. 
Uh, it's believed to be the most comprehensive work to date, with pollinators described for approximately 150 species of orchids. Isn't now, that, that is fantastic. That's, isn't that phenomenal? For someone to just dedicate yep. so much time into, yep. into that research, yep. um, that is absolutely wonderful. So, as I mentioned, that talk is coming up on Sunday, the 13th of August. The cost, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $20. Non-members, $25. Students, $10. I'm, I keep saying this, but I'm so pleased that the Friends Group acknowledges students Mm. Um, to try and get students along to these, because that's how you learn. You Absolutely. go along and listen to these talks. Yep. So that's wonderful. Now, bookings, go to www.rbgfriendscranburn, all one word, .org.au. And if you'd like further information, 8774-2483. That's 8774-2483. Three. That'll be absolutely superb talk because it'll it'll be looking at that intricate relationship between an orchid, its pollinator, and and in in many cases um, there's a uh, you know orchids have got conservation significance and they're, they're quite rare in the wild and they're under all sorts of oh, environmental yes. pressures and it's yes. often because the the um the pollinator is missing mm. um, and that key element in the you know the ongoing viability of that population is about absence or presence of pollinators. Who yes. are the pollinators? Wasps? Uh, this, yeah, wasps. Yep. A, a lot of them are pollinated by, you know, and really specific um, species of wasps to mm. species of, butter, to, of uh, orchids. And, yeah, it's a really, really complex thing. And mm. I think also the rabbits obviously play a big part in... Grazing and stuff, yeah. Grazing yeah. those. Mm. Where I am in Vendor Islands, they've... Um, uh, the Bicker, so which is quite a um, an interesting group, a very um, local group that um, you know protects the um, flora and fauna of the area, and that we've got set aside certain areas that have been completely fenced out. Exclusion and plots, exclusion plots, and just um, basically to protect some of the orchids, yep. and also just to see what comes up yeah. when when yeah. it's you know protected. When you, when you remove everything. the grazing, yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep, fantastic. Yeah. Mm, that'll be great. That'll be a cracking afternoon. Okay. Um, talking orchids, but uh, not necessarily Australian native orchids, um, Warringal Orchid Society have got uh, a show coming up. Now, this is Saturday the 5th and Sunday the 6th of August, both uh, Saturday 9 to 4.30, Sunday 9.30 to 4. Uh, now, the venue is St Sava Community Centre, 212 Diamond Creek Road there in Greensboro. Millway's map reference is 11C8. Entry is $5 with light refreshments, potting demonstrations, orchid accessories, etc. being available. And uh, so, as I say, that's coming up those times. The Saturday is 9 till 4.30. The Sunday is 9.30 till 4. So slightly shortened on the Sunday, I guess, so they can pack up. <laughs> All right, uh, and finally, um, we've got a big day of happenings down at Burnley Gardens um, again Saturday, the fifth of August. It's all happening on the one day. They're having a, what they're calling a field day. Now it encompasses um, a workshop, a seminar, and a plant sale. Uh, the plant sale will take place eleven till three with cash payments only, um, plus sausage sizzle, coffees, and cakes. But the uh, the workshop and the uh, truffle seminar are also coming up that day. Now, the pruning workshop is in the morning, 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m. Uh, this is on fruit tree pruning with Chris England. 
and it's learning to prune different types of fruit trees, apples, pears, peaches, nectarines, plums, citrus, etc. Learning to keep them healthy, to workable height, and to recognise the different types of growth and prune for maximum fruit. Now, it's a hands-on workshop, small group. Uh, it's run either for beginners or as a refresher for experienced pruners. And Chris will demonstrate pruning techniques in the Burnley Gardens Orchard and then you'll have a go under his watchful eye. Now, as I said, that's in the morning on the 5th, 10 through to 1. Cost for that one, members of the Friends Group $50, non-members $65. Payment in advance uh, and you need to bring uh, clean secateurs. All plant material will be supplied. Uh, please wear closed shoes for health and safety requirements. The venue, of course, is down at Burnley Campus in Yarra Boulevard. Bookings are essential. Friends.burnley at gmail.com or the number 9035-6815. So that's the morning workshop. Then in the afternoon, uh, there is a truffle seminar. Now, uh, this is taking place in the hall at Burnley campus, three o'clock through till six o'clock. Now it's being run by Noel Fitzpatrick. Noel is a well-known truffle consultant, Victorian truffle farmer and Burnley graduate. Um, he spent time in France, Italy and Spain studying all aspects of truffle production uh, with the European growers there. So uh, as I said, three through till six. So you've got a full day of happenings. Uh, again, there's a cost for the seminar. Members of the Friends Group, $65. Visitors, $80. Parking available in the boulevard. And again, bookings are essential. Friends.burnley at gmail.com or 9035-6815. Okay, uh, we, gosh, we need to get to our first caller. And if you'd like to ring in, we're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot this morning. So do give us a call. That number is 94190155. Uh First up, we're going to go to uh, Bill. Uh, good morning, Bill. Good morning. Go ahead. Okay. Um, we had a mandarin tree that died uh, last summer, and next to it was growing a wormwood tree. It was growing all over it, and we're not too sure if that had something to do with it or if it was just coincidence. But anyway, we've ripped out the wormwood, and we're wondering... Um, do we need to wait before we plant other fruit trees in that spot? Like, is it alle what is it? Alleliopathic. Alleliopathic. Yeah, alleliopathic. Yeah. So that's my basic questions. Hmm. I, I, look, possibly. Uh, um, we're talking wormwood, isn't it? That that grey shrub rather than a, a, a tree. I'm assuming. So is, it, is that yeah, the artemisia? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, silvery shrub. You know, just yeah. sort of grows rampant. Just you know, kill it. Can't kill it. You keep cutting. Keeps growing back. Yeah. Uh, you, you do notice with wormwoods that there's often very little growing underneath them. They're, they're kind of that self-mulching thing. So, look, they possibly are locally alleopathic, but look, a, a, a load of compost in, in, in amongst that, and um, that would balance any, anything out, I would think. But it's not unusual to see a wormwood with little or nothing growing underneath As it. As a with, you know, quite a few trees and a, a lot display that characteristic, they don't do. they? Yeah. You know, you know, pines and even eucalypts. And kind of those self-mulching things. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Bill, yeah. how old was your mandarin tree? Um, it was a few years old, but it wasn't old enough to die. We thought it maybe it was waterlogged, but that wasn't the case. It was just weird because it, it was right... They were sort of touching each other because when we, we didn't croon it for a while, it just grew over the, you know, right next to the mandarin tree growing onto it. 
And also, the spots where they were sort of touching or in contact, the wormwood, that side of the thing seemed to be all dead as well, you know, like a small spot. Okay. So it was really strange. Yeah. Wormwoods have got, they do have a really aggressive root system. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could have just been competition for water. Yeah, but there's an apple tree growing close to it, just near it, just um, to the other side, but not as close. And that was going great guns, you know. Um, mm. that's, but if, that's the best use ever had. Bill, if you've re- removed the wormwood, some sort yeah. of um, addition of organic matter, uh, I, I think, would balance any residual, if there is any allopathy, mm. it would ban- balance any, any residual allopathy, I would think. Uh-huh. So we don't um, need to wait, you think? Just... Uh, no, I'd have a crack now. Yeah, yeah all right. And another quick question. We also had a passion fruit that um, was only a couple of years old and then it developed some sort of a fungal problem. The fruit just started shriveling and the leaves turning yellow. Okay. Uh, so we think it was you know, fungal bacteria, I'm not too sure. Um, do we need to wait a while for that as well? Because To plant another one? To replant another one, yeah. No, I'd just wait till spring. Yeah. Put yep. one in, yeah, yeah. Just make, just you know, keep it as healthy as possible. Plants don't develop disease if they're really, really healthy. Um, so just, uh, yeah, just you know, apply your liquid seaweed and just keep it as healthy as mm. possible. Passion fruit are gross feeders, so yep. keep it really well fed. And um, yeah, plant plant in spring when it when it really starts warming up. Well, we were doing all that. That's why it was strange. It was very healthy, and um, we're looking forward to our first decent crop of passion fruit. And starting all this fruit appeared, and then all of a sudden it got really sick and it just seemed strange. We didn't know if it was something in the in the soil or or how it would be come into contact with it, you know, because other things in the garden seem to be going well. You know? How far is the um the wormwood and the mandarin and your passion fruit? Are they far away from each other? Um the passion fruit's reasonably far away 'cause the but not like miles away 'cause you know mm. the you know the garden's not massive. Yeah. Um yep. No, just but wondering just, if there's any association. Is, yeah, is there well, something going there on in the backyard? That's all. Yeah, but how would that be transferred? That because um, other plants seem to be thriving, you know, in yeah. the yeah. same area. Mm. Is it particular to those plants? The, you know, the, the what, what did fruit. you have growing where the passion fruit was before? Um, nothing. We'd we'd um, extended the veggie garden a bit and had built a, a new fence, and we, you know, I was trying to we trellising it, you know there on wires and so forth, so it was a new spot. There was nothing yeah. really growing there before. We'd just no no animals doing their business anywhere around there? No, we've got a couple of chooks, but that's about it. Okay. They don't have any other animals. No. No What's your soil, Bill? Uh, Pat, we're in Pasco Vale, so it's uh, crappy sandy soil and really heavy clay underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And did you work up the soil before the passion fruit was planted? Yeah, yeah, we did all that. Yep, we did so all that. Yeah, the organic worms, matter. And I've got compost and we've got leaves and we had you know manure and things like that well i mean it sounds like you're doing all the right it things does. it yeah. really does yeah, it so i just yeah wait wait till spring and give it another shot yeah it's really frustrating i don't know because we're trying to do you know no spraying or chemicals or anything but just yeah, what I found, <laughs> yeah, with the, with the passion fruit, I found that um, seedling passion fruit rather than grafted passion fruit actually end up being a bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, they take longer to establish and get moving and they'll sit there and sulk for a while, but when they do, they, they for they, me, they've seemed much stronger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that, that yeah. might be an option for you. And you don't run the risk of the, um, the understock the taking understock. over, That's which right. can yeah. happen with which the passion fruit. Often, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Our passion fruit, it, 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 I don't like it. <laughs> John! It just grows and grows and grows and grows. Now I hate you even more. But it doesn't produce any fruit. Oh, oh no. really? You know, it just, it's such a heavy f- 
foliage. Yeah, mm. It's yes. in quite rich soil. <laughs> we do nothing but only water it. Mm. Uh, and it just goes berserk. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's almost like the flowers get obscured by the next oh, the foliage, the next flush of foliage. It's incredible. You know, it's not, it's not just not being pollinated. Yeah. So it's not the um, rootstock that's no, 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 no. It's, just, it's the beautiful green, glossy yeah. green thing is just going. Mm. It just, I think in too three, much or four, three or four, yeah. well, too much goodness or something. Yes. We've had yes. half a dozen. Might need to pump the bit of posh at. Potash onto it. And we've tried, yeah, we've tried yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, well. So it's an ornamental passion fruit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, Bill. All right, just a quick weird question. Yep. Like when we dig down, because, you know, in the backyard, somewhere down the years before, whoever's had the house has had some sort of car parts or junk or something, because we're always mm-hmm. pulling a bit of junk. Would that have any effect on... Yep. On the soil because, you know, you just find the weird bits of glass and car parts yeah. and all sorts of bizarre things. Yeah, not only on the soil, I mean, because if there's concrete and, you know, lime leaching into mm. the soil, but it also affects the drainage. Um, so that, I mean, you did mention some area of your soil was a waterlogged, so that could potentially be the problem. Could be. No, no, we uh, thought it might be waterlogging for the mandarin tree, but that wasn't yep. the case. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So they just died also, like, you know, when you see trees that die back. They yep. just sort of just shriveled up and went, you know, all all dead. Yeah, and what what can happen, Bill, with um, building materials left in the soil? You know, you can put a plant in and it grows wonderfully for a couple of years and you think all is good, and then all of a sudden it starts hitting these um, concrete blocks and pieces of steel and whatnot, and suddenly the roots um, don't have anywhere to penetrate and, and um, can't support a larger plant, so it turns up its toes. So... Mm. It's um yeah. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just all small pieces of stuff here and there. That's all. It's okay. Not massive bit there. And we dig. I try to dig down quite, you know, to free up. Yeah. Soil a bit and you know putting matter in that. So it's not a case that the roots haven't got anywhere to go. It's just that stuff every now and then turns up its toes and the paths. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. All right then. Thanks very much. Okay then. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey Pam, you know what I realise we've missed? What's that? What's today? What's the most important day on the gardener's calendar? Ah, <laughs> uh, National Tree Planting National Day. National Tree Day. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I was, and I was on the I was on the Planet Ark website, and I, they've got something like twenty four and a half thousand volunteers who are out planting ninety thousand seedlings. Wow. So that's a lot that's of trees that brilliant. are getting. And they've got a lot of um, areas that you can go. You can jump onto their website and see where where they've got um, the tree planting happening. The seedling planting and go and take the kids down and, and join in. Such a nice day today. We're Perfect. Talk, we were talking off air earlier about as gardeners, we're in a kind of a privileged position because we can actually do something in a positive way to mitigate a warming climate through and mm. planting trees mm. is such a positive affirmation. Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a, I don't know, it's a, um, it's a, a positive thing to do. It's mm. an optimistic thing to do, yes, I think, yeah. to plant trees. Mm, yeah. National tree, you missed National Tree Day. Yeah, Whoops. yeah. So I've got some seedling trees. They probably won't go in today, but I'd like to think that they would. <laughs> some mutton wood sitting there waiting um, to be planted. It's, yeah, it's the, right, the nice rapania, howitiana. Yeah, actually, that, it's interesting that tree because um, it's supposed to like. Um, Shady conditions with deep, deep rich yep. soils, moist soils. But um, I've got it in, you know, clay in the sun and they're going great guns. And um, a friend has got it down at um, in their garden at Apollo Bay. Okay. And it's very sandy. It's in full sun. Yep. And they are actually 
sending up new plants all over the place. And, he, you know, we suggested it just to, to create a really lovely hedge because they're quite narrow. You know, they mm. only yeah. grow to about, you know, two to three metres wide. Yep. Um, a really good alternative tree for the um, Potosporum undulata with, yeah. a, you know, yes. the nice um, yeah. rainforesty green yeah. leaves and mm. everything. So they're a gorgeous plant, a nice smooth uh, trunk, smooth white trunk. It's lovely fruit. It's yeah, it's quite yeah. incredible how mm. you know trees. They you can yeah. try them in different environments. Just because the label says try them in this environment, if you look after it, yeah. they they will thrive in a yeah. lot of environments. Uh, it's interesting. There's things that that you. I mean, there's a a really str- a solid principle that says grow things that are matched to your prevailing environmental conditions, which is again the local yeah. you know, emphasis yeah. on local species and 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 that's completely solid and and right. Mm. Um, and then you've got these. Exceptions. I mean, Carimbia citriodora um, naturally occurs in Cape York. Mm, yeah. It's got this t- relatively small natural distribution in northern Queensland. Yeah. Eucalyptus toriana, same sort of thing. Mm, yeah. So these things, by right, shouldn't be <laughs> cultivatable, if that's a word. Mm. Um, and when, outside you, you know, when you talk about privilege too, I've been thinking a lot lately in um, respect to with building in general, we, we know all our regulations and I, I've been dealing with four regulators on this job. So it's a little, you know, a little madness going on. Um, but I was also thinking the bottom line is with our planting and with our environment, with our gardening in general, it is generally one of the most creative pursuits because we don't have the building regulations as such in, in a really strict way. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, we've got um, with our different councils and our Indigenous balance and all the rest of it. But still, I feel it is such a privilege and people should look more and more into the fact that you can create anything you want. Mm. And it is mm. absolutely special. And generally speaking, unless you're planting agapanthus, might I say, all over the place. But, you know, generally speaking, you are saving the planet with every pursuit. And uh, I think that's just so fabulous. And and you have this beautiful creative magic that goes on where you can create havens here and havens there. And I have my first one and only granddaughter at the moment. And it is, I just say to her, she says, Minnie, she calls me Minnie, can we please, can we go and do some digging? And I say, yes, we can do, can we do some weeding? And uh I mean, Send it to my place, can you? I know. I know. She's only three. She can do lots of weeding at my place. She will be. She's. I mean, I've got her on board. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, and she is a Torian, and she is an Earth sign. So that's it. The the deal's done. The deal's done. <laughs> but you're right. We can create beauty. We can create function. Yes. Um, we can mitigate climate. Yep. Yeah. You know, create urban habitat. Absolutely. Increase biodiversity. Yes. Yep. Yes. Create, um, you know, food sources for all our birds and insects. And And for us. And for us. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we often think of um, plants and animals as being connected, but we don't often put ourselves in the picture. And, of course, we're just another animal. And I'm sure, you know, there's plenty of trees that have, you know, evolved with us in mind of when we can, you know, pick them and eat them and and, um, go and poo their seeds out somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's not – there's a little bit of a disconnect, but we're an animal. And um, yeah, yep. we, we can we can help in that mm. sort of diversity aspect of it all. Mm. Absolutely, mm. start with the children. Mm. Yeah, yep, definitely. Yeah. One mutton wood at a time.
one. Oh yeah, <laughs> have, have you got them down at the garden? Um, you know, we haven't. It's on. It's on the list for us to uh, include. We're we're not a hundred percent sure whether, whether it'll pass our weed evaluation model. Oh, yeah. All right. Because you mentioned that some little ones were coming yeah, around. Yeah, it's this, suckering. This, it, it, so that's suckering, yeah. which is okay. Yeah. But it does it does have a large fruit load. Um, and, you know, so we're not 100% sure it'll pass through our, our weed evaluation model. Yeah. And it's had a name change, which is oh, a bugger. Damn it. Yeah, yeah. It's now a myrosine. Oh, it is a myrosine. myrosine yes. No, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not repanium. Yeah, which is yeah. A, which is related to, nut, to nutmeg. So okay. it's, actually, oh. it's actually a nutmeg relative. Oh, I wonder if you could dry the fruit and use I it as a wonder. nutmeg. Yeah. I wonder. Because mm. the fruits, uh, the foliage is a, a little aromatic. Yes. Mm. Yeah. No, it's a lovely plant. It's a lovely plant. Yeah. Really. Uh, it's blood. a really, really good solid garden plant. But I, I didn't realise it was weedy until Damien from down at Apollo Bay had, uh, he was like, Cursing me, I think, in the end, because he had this area that was quite hard to grow plants, and he wanted to block out the neighbours behind him. Like, put put this mutton wood in; it's gorgeous, and it'll do the job, and it's certainly doing the job. Yeah, it's yeah. going crazy. It's um, there's a it it, it occurs in the floor of Melbourne. Yeah. Um, uh, in a couple of areas, it's in the hills, and there's a I think Werribee Gorge is a population okay. of mutton wood in Werribee Gorge, and yep. Uh, out on the Dandelion Creek, there's a, a population of, but it's quite rare. In you don't see a lot of it. No, it's indigenous to my area, which is why I'm, I put quite okay. a few in. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to create my little rainforest area, which is taking a couple of years, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. getting there eventually. Getting there. Yeah. It is. It's all about that upper canopy, it is about isn't that it? Upper canopy. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you can do it quickly. With silver wattles and such things, yeah, but, um, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't put them in. No, so. no. But muttonwood, so it should be more widely grown. It's a really cracking plant. Yeah, yeah. You are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show in the studio this morning. We do have AB Bishop, Loretta Childs, and John Arnott. We'd uh, love to take your call. That number is nine four one nine zero one double five. Now, um, a little while ago, of course, listeners know that we ran our annual Radiothon. Um, this is our annual fundraising for the year where we, uh, <clears throat> we try to raise enough capital to uh, basically uh, uh, provide all the running costs for the station for the next 12 months. And when I say we, all the shows on 3CR and, of course, the gardening show is a part of that. Now... Um, we were set uh, a target to raise of 13500 um, Thanks to all our wonderful listeners, we have raised just over 11000 so far, but we do have another 2500 to go to reach our target, and we do have a lot of product still left over. For a start, we have so many books. Um, there's just too many to mention. We've got books on every possible subject you can think of, and all of these are at prices below recommended retail price. So if you're looking for a gift or some prizes, if you're uh, part of a uh, gardening club, um, do consider, um, rather than going to uh, a commercial shop, think about supporting 3CR. Now, we also have, as I mentioned, a lot of products still, um, things like um, multi-crop fish emulsion, fertiliser, um, some loads of sea salt, uh, we've got Nutrog, things like um, uh, go-go juice and rocket fuel, uh, strike back for orchids, um, citrus, uh, rose and citrus soil, Australian native mix, pocking mix, you name it, we've got it still. And uh, we also still have left um, 
our two works turbine uh, 20 volt blower sweepers. Now we've reduced these down, they were at uh, valued at $200, we've reduced them down to $150. So if anyone is looking for a works turbine uh, blower sweeper, uh, we do still have two left. Uh, you'd be able to pick one up much cheaper than what you'd be able to buy one for. And uh, at the same time, you're supporting 3CR and the gardening show. So if you're interested in picking up any product, any books um, or magazines, or we also have nursery vouchers still, vouchers for doing gardening workshops, um, <coughs> particularly one out. <coughs> at uh, series we've also got country farm perennials vouchers and our good friend Merrill will be in next Sunday actually um, so do give the station a call during the week during office hours on 94198377 that's 94198377 and uh, ask the staff what's left over or come in and uh, visit the station have a have browse. browse that's the yeah. best way of looking through the books uh, we're at 21 Smith Street in Collingwood, just up from Victoria Parade. You can't miss the uh, the building because we've got a big mural all around the outside of the building. Um, so uh, do come in, uh, 21 Smith Street, and uh, support 3CR and the gardening show. Okay, we'll go to our next caller, and we have uh, Gary, and Gary's in uh, New South Wales. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. How are you today? We're well. Yeah, I've been listening to you on my computer. Fantastic. Oh, nice one. And uh, I've noticed that you, just to explain, uh, I've for the last 15 years I've been running a program called the Indian Miner Eradication Program. Okay. All strengths to your bow. And we have shipped hundreds of traps to Victoria. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Um, and the, that's good because the first Indian miners were actually released in Victoria. First rabbits were released in Victoria, first blackbirds were released in Victoria, oh, first sparrows were released in Victoria. Oh that you perhaps don't want to boast about. Uh, <laughs> yes. However, Blackberry. You know, there is something that you, people can do with their gardens. Uh, they can actually plant their garden and their yard out so that Indian miners won't go there. Right. And that's by simply not having any more than three metres between their plants. If you, okay. if you would plant your little shrubs and things, you know, across the garden and have no more than three metres, the Indian miners won't come in there because they like at least a three metre clearance before they're going to land anywhere. Sorry, Gary, just explain explain that again. Yep. The, the Indian miners like yep. a three metre clearance yep. before they will land somewhere. And they also don't like to land, particularly land under branches. Okay, so... So if you have shrubs and plants that are no more than three metres apart, then the... Uh, the Indian miners won't go there. Mm. Okay. Oh, I guess that's why they're becoming more established in open areas and suburban mm. areas, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, mm. They've adapted very, very well. It was Von Mueller, who was the botanist down in Melbourne, who yep. actually released yep. them in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, and blackberry bushes too. Did you? There's a link between them because he released blackberry bushes or planted blackberry bushes. In fact, he used to go for a walk in the bush and spread seeds. Isn't it interesting that there's a quote and um, that I mean, von Mueller was a giant of botany. Yes. Um, you know, one of the uh, extraordinarily intelligent, you know, a giant of botany. Um, and the quote is that one day every gully in southeastern Australia will be blessed with the blackberry. <laughs> And, uh, of course, it hasn't turned out to be a blessing. No. no. Uh, but the thing is that he was concerned about insects uh, on his blackberry bushes. 
Right. And so he introduced Indian miners. Okay. Who in India are known as the farmer's friend because they eat insects. Mm. Yeah, so anyway, I just thought I'd give you guys a call. And uh, if, you, if you've got any listeners, if, you, if I am a, if you would like me to give a number, they can give me a call if they want help with their Indian miners. That That's... would be fine, Gary, if you're happy to do that. Yeah, sure. Uh, my number is 0438 yes. 198460. Yes. Yes. So 0438 198460. That's right. Uh, it's Fantastic. very practical information, yeah. Gary. That's it's yeah. really good. And if you like, from time to time, I'll give you a call. Fantastic. Okay, we'd love that. Okay, thanks for talking. Gary, just while you're there, we, um, I, I'm at the Royal Botanic Gardens uh, Cranbourne and we actually had uh, an Indian minor eradication program going there with yes. a series of traps. Um, uh, and there was there was a really nice correlation between the removing the Indian miners and the increase of um, native bird species diversity. Yes, that's right. If you, can, if you can take the native birds off your property, not only do they stop pooping all over your patio furniture, yep. but the, the native birds also come back. Our, our wicked dilemma was um, uh, noisy miners moved in. Yes, they uh, will do that. Uh, and gee, there's, in southeastern Australia, Melbourne, noisy miners are on the march. Yes, it's 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 a difficult situation there um, because they're protected as well. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I have a number of people call me, as you can imagine. I've been doing this for 15 years, by the way. Right. Well done. Right. Uh, a number of people call me and they want to, to get rid of noisy miners. And the only t- only time that, that noisy miners have been able to be got rid of is that if people interfere with a noisy miner nest, the noisy miners turn feral and they attack people. Mm. Uh, and, and they don't just snap over their heads like they do with most other birds. You've seen them come out and snap their beaks. Uh, they, they actually hit people in the eye or in the head. Um, oh, they're an extraordinarily aggressive bird. That's right. But, but I've, only, I've always tracked it back whenever it's happened that someone has interfered with their nest. Right. Oh, I don't want them nesting in my tree, and so they poke at the nest with a stick. Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the noisy miners do move in, and I know national parks are concerned about them on the perimeter areas of national parks mm. as well. Mm. Um, there's not, not a lot you can do about that. But I've also found that the noisy miners, although they are also territorial, they don't really uh, actually attack and harm other birds, and the other birds will still come in. How did you find it in the botanic garden? Oh, look, they're pretty... They're, they're, we've not, noted them to be pretty aggressive. Um, to birds as well as to, to humans? To birds, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, they, they weren't aggressive to humans there, were they? No, no, not at all, not at all. We, we had... It was really unfortunate uh, a couple of weekends ago we had a really sick possum sitting in the daylight out in the far branches of a bare uh, ash tree, completely mm. deciduous ash tree. And it was in it was in a bit of trouble. It was sick, and the noisy miners were just it was oh. it was actually awful. They, they will. They'll come twenty, thirty, or more of them. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've actually seen that happen. I've also seen sulphur-crested cockatoos go after a possum, but they were after the uh, the young in the possum's nest. Okay. Uh, the possum stretched itself across the front of the hollow. Okay. And amazing. Hung huh? on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's a, it's it's doggy dog out there at times, isn't it? Well, oh, well it is, and yeah. I mean, we we let's be realistic. We have natural uh, bird predators yep. that are you know, natural to Australia. Mm. Uh, you get your butcher bird, for example. Mm. You don't uh, think of cockies though as as, as being, wanting to attack being a cannibalistic. Yeah. I think I think they want the hollow. Um, oh, okay. Oh right, nesting that makes season. sense. Yeah. And see, this is one of the things that I, I try and stress with people that in catching Indian miners that. This is a great time of year to catch them because 
the more you catch now before nesting season, we can have far, far fewer next year because mm. yeah. in some areas they produce up to 16 young. Mm. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's, that's incredible. It's... There's no use pulling their nest down because they'll just rebuild it. Yeah, no, that's right. Huh? It's it's interesting that you mentioned the arrangement of plants in the garden being kind of antagonistic to to, to miners, and I think that's 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 a, a, a gem of a piece of information. I guess the other uh, strategy that you can employ as, as gardeners is to have thickets of vegetation, lots of dense things, prickly plants, um, harbour and protection for for other birds. So yes, for think, the smaller birds, for the smaller yes. birds, yeah, that's right. That, that that's that's very important. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of people don't like the prickly plants or the, the denser plants, and, and they just don't have them. So plant them against the fence line or an area mm. that you're not going to yeah. go into. And there's some, and there's some wonderfully um, armed prickly plants that you can, mm. you know, thinking of some of the hedge wattles and. But not even prickly. Like there's a lot of just dense shrubs dense that, that, that aren't prickly that are yeah. suitable. Um, so Gary, out of interest, what do you uh, drown the Indian miners once oh, they've been no. trapped? No, 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 no. Um, one of the things that I'm very strong on is not being cruel to them. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of people They're hate gassed. them, right? And no, we don't drown them. We use uh, carbon monoxide from a coal petrol engine or yeah. CO2 gas. Okay. Mm. Which is yeah. And that's that's the Just way to get them to sleep. Yeah, I actually provide people with full instructions. Uh, when I supply traps to them. Yep. Yep. And on top of that, they're welcome to call me if they need additional help at any time, it, uh, including people that lend their traps to other people. I'll, I'll, I'll help the people who buy the traps too. I really don't care. I just want to see pure Indian miners. Look, it's called the Indian Mine Eradication Program, but what we're really trying to do is control them and reduce them. You know, we've, we've created a lot of Indian miner-free properties. Yeah, good. Um, and isn't it interesting when you trap, you've, if you trap a miner, you're almost guaranteed to trap a, a number of them. So oh, yes, that's you, right. You get one in a trap and it attracts more into a right. trap. And they're, they're tra- quite trappable. They are quite trappable. Sometimes, of course, the trap will sit there uh, for several weeks and they won't go near it. Yep. Um, but then we have a, our record here is one trapper who caught 22 in one hour. Yep. Uh, he, he then rang up, rang me two weeks later and complained he hadn't caught any more. Unfortunately, I thought to ask you if he had any more, and the answer was he didn't. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, Gary, is, very territorial. is your area, is it agricultural area, is that the, the problem with the miners up there, or is it uh, homes? Resi- or? It's residential and agricultural. I've yeah. just moved here to Berkshire Park, which is more an agricultural area. Um, I estimate there's about 600 Indian miners in the area, um, from what I've seen. Uh, so far, well, there's not 600 now. I've taken 79 out in five months. That's a lot. Mm. Yeah, well, just keep the trap out there. Yeah. So yeah. you're obviously known in the community and sharing traps around the place and getting rid of them? People do. Um, it, people do share their traps. Uh, people certainly do know about me. I have a Facebook page, yeah. the Indian Mine Eradication Program Facebook page, which at the beginning of this year suddenly jumped up from about 70 followers to over 5,500. Oh, Fantastic. Gosh. <laughs> You're spreading the know, word. I don't know what I did. <laughs> you probably have a few more after this morning. Yeah, well, that, that would be great. And you know, you guys have got my number too. And if you ever want to have a chat, I'm happy to talk to you. Fantastic, Wonderful. Gary. Thank you Gary, so much. Good on you, mate. Okay, thanks. Bye. Keep, keep it up. Practical information. Yeah, it's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, next we're going to Sharon, who's in Cheltenham. Good morning, Sharon. Oh, good morning. Uh, look, I just wondered if you remembered last week, Stephen Ryan's speaking about a plant. I think it was Canarina or Canarina. I couldn't find it. I was wondering if 
you'd remember it. Look, Stephen will be on again next week, next Sunday. Oh, well, I'll... So that would be the... Ring him up and ask him yourself, That would be the best (laughs) idea because that way he can give you all the lowdown on it. Excellent. Thank you. Okay, then. Bye. Bye. Yeah, John, it's interesting what you were saying about, you know, Victoria having introduced all these things. And I've just started reading a book by um, Pam. He's a local author, Mick Woywood, and um, he's written a lot of books um, on the local area, like the Yarra Valley area and all through there. And his latest book is uh, Barack versus the Black Hats. (laughs) Fantastic. And, um, you know, and, and part of that is focusing on... Um, how the gentry of Australia brought in all of these things, you know, so we could um, colonise the area and, and um, make it a little bit more like the motherland, yep. um, bring rabbits in. So Hairs, that we, goats. Yeah, everything. So yep. it's And it's really, um, yeah, it, it's quite incredible. So it's a lovely story and I will report back on that. Um, but um, if anyone's interested in um, that sort of area, like the history of the Yarra Valley area um, from an um, Aboriginal perspective and... Um, um, Mick has written, I think, 20 books now. He's extremely prolific and very, very well researched. And, um, yeah, so this one is um, Barack versus the Black Hats. What a great title. Yeah. Mm. What a yeah, great so. title. <laughs> Terrific book. But, yeah, it, it, it is quite sad, isn't it? You know, but now that we've got the knowledge, mm. we can now start trying to eradicate all these things. But, really, it, it is just a matter of trying to control them, isn't it? As mm. Gary was saying, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd never even hope to get rid of them all. No. Um, it's just it's just not going to happen. That's exactly right. And yep. and like the zoo, the original zoo wasn't about the display of exotic, you know, tigers and giraffes and rhinos and things like that. It was actually about acclimatising um, uh, useful animals into southeastern Australia. Mm. So things that you know, things like uh, right. yeah, you know, goats and hares goats and, and yeah. blackbirds and sparrows and etc. 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 It was about acclimatising. Yes. You know, botanic gardens were about introducing plants of the motherland and mm. zoos were about acclimatising useful animals into, yeah. into, into southeastern Australia. He'd love to be able to turn back time. Oh, oh wouldn't you ever? <laughs> so, for so many reasons. Yeah, for so many reasons. Yeah. Now, John, you mentioned that uh, down at Cranbourne a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a workshop on use, useful plants. There was. Yes. Yeah. Um, what firstly was the definition of useful? Uh, look, it was a, there was a bunch of uses. So things like uh, the capacity to uh, eat it, yep, um, build with build it, build with it, uh, weave it, um, uh, dye it, wear it. Uh, so okay, plant uses. So yes. that whole range of right, that whole range of plant uses, and and um, the the format for the the, the friends days they're they're cracking days. So so John Thompson. Um, who's been heavily involved in the Australian plant APS world for, for years and years. Um, he opened the day with uh, a, a range of arts and crafts uses of mm-hmm. Australian plants and um, you know, ranging from uh, you know, pure art uh, through to dance and music and you know okay. where, where there was a relationship with the Australian fauna all the way through to stained glass. Wow. So it was a really great mm-hmm. presentation just looking at... at how the uh, the artistic world has interacted with the with the Australian flora over over many many years. Right. You know, from von Gerards and you know, it was a really great sort of keynote 
um, looking at uh, Australian plants in arts and crafts. Yes. Uh, there was Harley Tobin from the Wonthaggy Woodies who talked about um, turning timber, turning yeah. wood and timbers yep. and uh, all, all the properties of different timbers and that was just a, a glorious presentation. He was really into his into his um, native timbers. Uh, there was basketry and weaving again, a beautiful presentation by Pat Dale. Um, dyeing native plants for or using native plants as dyes and for natural natural dyeing. Um, Bruce Pascoe spoke, uh, the author of Dark Emu. Yes. Um, and that was just a cracking presentation. That was quite extraordinary. We had a wonderful afternoon tea um, with possum pate and a whole range <laughs> of um, mm. a whole range of bush foods, which was really really great. Uh, and Chloe. Chloe Foster spoke about propagating um, bush foods. So that was the program. Uh, and then uh, Roger Elliott and I um, took the groups out into the Australian Garden and looked at a whole range of um, useful plants in the Australian Garden. So we had a tour, um, which was really great. It was a, it was a lovely day. Excellent. The, and a, a, again, the friends at the Cranbourne Gardens, their, their programs, their, their annual event of programs, is it's unsurpassed, I think, in the, um, the Australian Botanic Garden world. I think it's a, it's well, it's a fantastic program, really uh, diverse, and you know they just keep coming up with these great workshops year in year. Look, every year few in, weeks they're having this, another one. Yeah, they're exactly. the most active group I've ever known. Exactly, yes. they're phenomenal. They're a yes. powerhouse. They are. Yeah, <laughs> John, I purchased a gorgeous little uh, woven basket from one of the exhibitions last year right. that that um, one of the artists from Cranbourne had made, and I just wanted: do they collect their materials from that area, or are uh, they brought in? Yes and no. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Um, our, our, our weaving group have been uh, kind of in recess a little bit, mm-hmm. um, uh, but for, for a long period they were collecting materials and bringing. Actually, bringing materials in was yep. was the kind of issue we had. That kind of myrtle rust outbreak, oh, yes. and we needed to restrict the, mm. the, the material that was coming on site from off site. Oh yes. Um, so uh, yeah, that's been relaxed a little bit, but uh, um, certainly the focus. Yeah, I, I think the weavers are less concerned about provenance and more concerned about properties. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's the right. It's the right. But do they use the right mostly native plants? Uh, probably asking the wrong. Possibly person, not. Yeah. Possibly not. Not exclusively. Yeah, yeah. You know, things like New Zealand flax and things oh, yeah. like that are really, really good. Yeah. And you know, yeah. a number of palms. Pliable and, and everything. Pliable. Yeah. 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 But I think there there is an emphasis on using um, uh, Australian sedges and things like that. Mm. But I think it's more about property and more and less about property. Yeah, and for, how much it can groups. be dyed as well, I yeah. suppose. Because yeah. I know my gorgeous little basket, which is very soft, it's almost like a little cocoon basket, and that's um, been dyed um, purple and orange yeah. and stuff. Do you know what the material was that? The parent material for no, the for the weaving. No, I don't. No. no, it wasn't actually listed on the label. Yeah. No. So we, we we walked through the Australian garden, looked at the at the lamandras and the dianellas and things like that that can be used for basketry and weaving. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've I've just got a quick list of some things in the Australian garden that I could go through. Okay. Um, the the the, the xanthoreas. Um, uh, there's the the, the number of applications that xanthoreas have in terms of uses, um, right. traditional uses and. Um, you know, again, properties is incredible. So th- this is a list of uses that xanthorea, as a, as a broad group, not necessarily mm. a species. Has. No, um, the flowers can be dipped into water, and the, and the nectar will infuse and produce as a drink, like a really sweet drink. Um, you can ferment that and have a slightly alcoholic mm-hmm. drink. All right, getting <laughs> um, better. Keep uh, going. <laughs> a, 
there's apparently parrot parrots are easier to catch after they've had a feed of xanthomoea oh, because oh, it's ferments okay. in their tummy and they get a bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, really good for for, 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 for bees um, and for sort of honeys. Uh, the leaf blade, not that you would do this to a xanthoria because you would probably kill it because it's the growing heart, but the, the bases of a number of the leaves are quite edible, so it's a, it's a vegetable. Seeds are edible. The resins all through the, the, um, the, the stems are really, really, really strong um, cement. Uh, so the resins had all sorts of applications and uses as a as a, as a glue and as a resin. Okay. Um, used in varnishing, used as dyes, used in candle making. Good heavens! Uh, the foliage was used for basket weaving. Um, it was the one of the major fire drill plants for uh, for the curry curry groups. Yes. Uh, it was the bit that was spun into to, okay. to, to create the fire. Okay. Uh, jewelry and and Roger actually pointed out to me that it. Um, it can be used in explosives as well. That resin has explosive properties oh, that can be heavens. manipulated for explosives. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? it really, does. yeah, it really Incredible. does. So, that, and that's one sort that's of group, one group plant. of plants yeah. with all of those applications. Wow. Um, but then there was you know things like viola. You know, we know that violets are, have you can eat the flowers, and, yes, the, and yep. the native violets are no different. So yep. they have edible flowers. The prostanthras with a whole range of um, culinary and um, aromatic properties, yeah. um, you know, prostanthus lasianthos and incisor and a whole bunch of different prostanthus had um, similarly great applications. Brachychitons can be roasted as a coffee substitute mm-hmm. for the, the, the fruits. Uh, the, one of my favourites is Ficus coronata, which is the sandpaper fig, which has got this very, very, very rough te- textured mm. leaf, which you can actually use, use as sandpaper. As sandpaper. Yep. Yeah, it's literally a sandpaper. <laughs> Plant. So, so we wandered. Roger and I um, we went off into the garden and we had a look at, you know, a range of you know uses that that Australian plants have. Yes, it was a really it was a fun tour. Wow, it was a really fun tour. And you know, and the list, you know, the list was you know, the list pa- goes pa- on and pages on. Yeah. and pages yes. long. Yes, um, but uh, 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 again, it was the uh, a really great event. The friends in in a string of really great events that the friends yep. are facilitating at the Cranbourne Gardens. They're Brilliant. a great mob. Yeah, brilliant. Well, guess who we have online? <laughs> oh, it's Roger. <laughs> Good morning, Roger. Good day, Pam. Hello, everybody else. Hi, Roger. Hi. Hi. Uh, <clears throat> oh, good. Thank, thanks for talking about that stuff, John. It was no, good. Yeah, it was a fun day, Roger, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. It was really good. It was such a diverse day. But it was good. But I, I was just bringing in about the uh, the old mutton wood. Oh, yeah. Too, oh, because, yes. Because um, it's, a, it's a good plant, but it can be very weedy. Um mm. I'd say you've got to be careful where you're planting it. Mm. Uh, I just know in a garden in uh, Heathmont, a couple of doors down from us, I saw this plant there and I thought, gee, that's good. Yep. You know? And then there were literally hundreds of seedlings coming yeah. up under it. So, And we planted on the property, you know, two, two doors up. Um, and when we'd left there, we, I hadn't noticed that many seedlings, but, you know, it, it is a plant that's... Has fruits like a little olive, yeah. and uh, birds love them, and uh, so yeah. But it's a it's a really useful plant, and it does grow in a whole range of different sites. You know, it uh, clay soils, even slightly sandy soils. Uh, but long as drainage is good, is the main thing. But it's great for shade. But it will, as I think AB was saying, it will tolerate sunshine. Yeah. So it's one of those plants that'll 
grow just about anywhere. Therefore, it's, there's a warning sign there. Yeah, maybe yeah. not such a great alternative to Pertosperum yeah. anyway. Maybe it's just as bad. Roger, yeah. what? Well, it's a bit like the, the beautiful Aliacarpus, which mm. is a Yeah, it's another sleeper. Sleeper, yeah. yeah. As far as, um, you know, possible problems down. But if you're in suburbia, fine. Yep. Mm. But if uh, you're planting in areas which it's not in its natural distribution and uh, be a little bit wary but anyway it, it, it is a, a really good plant and it has lovely timber for the wood turners yeah. <clears throat> um, you get some beautiful um, different just slight different colorations Roger, I was, I was wondering with the muttonwood there's I cycle past a, a, a natural population of muttonwood on the Dandenong Creek uh-huh. um, and when there's when it's in fruit it's not every plant which is in fruit so I'm wondering whether there might be and it's I don't know whether there might male be male and female. female plants and whether there'd be the possibility of cloning yeah, male material males. and putting it into the industry. Yeah, that'd be good, Good, John. I've got a croaky voice this morning. Um, but it's the same with the Potosum undulatum mm. because you find some there. And I know we, when we moved into Heathmont, we were the, they were just everywhere. Yep. And there was one plant there that had just female flowers. Right. Um and there was others which just with male. Mm. So yeah, whether in fact that that that'd be great if uh, that sort of thing could be explored. Well, but certainly that were. that's the observations that I made that there'd be plants that are loaded with fruit and and then yeah. plants with yeah. you know just yeah. no fruit yeah. at all. So no, it's, no. A pos- yeah. oh, it's worth a look, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I think AB you were mentioning about uh, whether the the basketry group just use Australian plants down there? Was that, or, or did I catch you wrong? No, 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 that's right. And we've also yeah. actually got Lynn on the line who's um, obviously oh, going to yes, okay. give us well, a little Well, Lynn's the one to talk to, not me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go away, Roger. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you anyway. <laughs> I'm going away now. Yeah, good, okay, Roger. Bye. 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 See you soon. And as we've just mentioned, we have uh, Lynn online, who's leader of the Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens basketry group. Good Hello. morning, Lynn. Yes. Good, good morning. Lynn. Yes, I couldn't resist calling in. And no, good on you. Yeah, good on you, Lynn. <laughs> um, yes, we've, um, the group's been reinstated for two, two and a half years now. Oh, finger on the pulse enough. for the manager of horticulture. Sorry about that, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. And we do only use um, Australian native oh, materials. Okay. Um, a lot of Lamandra and Dianella, Kambangi, um, Aliocaris, those sort of plants. Um, and... Um, if people want to use, if basketball members want to use um, non-natives, then they tend to do it in their private time or um, if they go along to another group. But at the Australian Gardens, we only use native materials that we usually bring from our own gardens. And what do you find have got the best properties, Lynn, that, you know, oh. for dying and, you know, I don't know, flexibility, well, that sort of thing? I haven't done a lot of dying, but I believe kangaroo paw, um, the roots of kangaroo paw are very good for dying. Mm. Um, I tend to use the natural colours. I find um, cordyline stricter has, um, dries to a lovely dark colour, mm-hmm. so that's really nice. Kangaroo paw dies to a beautiful um, dark grey colour. I made a hat out of it last year and um, it's absolutely beautiful to work with. And what do um, you dye with? What plants? Um, I personally don't haven't done a lot of dyeing. Um, so, but we do use um, some eucalypts like um, Eucalyptus scenaria. Um, you can use the leaves, they're a contact dye. 
um, by layering it in between layers of silk or wool and um, rolling it up. Um, Eucalyptus cordata is another one I know of. Um, But it's an area I would like to get into more. I Mm. haven't done a lot of time myself. I tend to concentrate on the weaving with the um, native materials. Lynn, have you done any work with um, any of the xanthoreas? Yes, I have actually. um, The basketry group were donated some xanthorea from one of the Friends members. And um, I did use it in what we call a stitch and coil method. Okay. We wind it around basically in a circle and stitch it. Yes. Um, and um, and I did use it for that, but I did find that the edges were a little bit sharp, okay. so you had to be quite careful yep. um, with using it. Um, but it, you can use it. Yeah. yeah. And have you done anything with any of the native grasses? Um, well, I well the kangaroo paw well um, power grasses. Mm. Yes, you can mm. use. Um, they're really lovely, in, again, in, in stitch and coil um, to use. So um, I'm, I'm more of a basketry person rather than a plants person, so I don't know a lot of the botanical names, unfortunately. But, um, yes, there's a wide number of plants that we can use. Of course, a lot of the vine material too, like the um, hardened verges, um, they're beautiful to work with. Um, in basketry because they have such a lovely long length to them. So that's the, that's, that's the woody stems, is it, Lynn? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So we, we look for things that have um, long, supple lengths to them. Mm. And that's why um, Kambungi is another favourite of mine. Or there's, I believe there's a couple of native types of Kambungi and there's also the introduced bulrushes. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they have slightly different properties. Um, but I use that quite a lot in my basket making and in for making hats too. And is there lots um, of hammering to reduce the sort of, um, I don't know, the, the fibres? Fibre. We, we tend to, most materials we pick green, we dry and then we rehydrate it to use it. So okay. it can be quite okay. a long process yes. to mm-hmm. get the material to required suppleness to use it. Any of the palms, Lynn, like the liver stoners, the, the, the yes. cabbage trees? Yes, yes. Um, I personally haven't used them because I tend to use, I live in Cranbourne and I tend to use plants that I have in my own garden, which is very small. So I haven't used liver stone myself, but yes, it is widely used. I think, especially up um, towards Queensland, um, New South Wales area. Where it's in, they use it more up there. It's in a bit more abundance in that part of the world, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm. And same things. Um, Pandanus is widely used up in the Northern yes, Territory. Yes, of course. Yeah. No, um, but no, I, I haven't had the opportunity to use it down here. As I, said, I, I personally focus mainly on plants that I have easy access to, and Lamandra is a, a favourite of mine because um, it grows... Um, on reserves down my street <laughs> and I now have it growing in my garden and it's easy to access. Dianella's another one. It's an easy plant to grow and it has beautiful little blue flowers and berries to mm. it um, and it's a really useful basketry plant. Mm. Fantastic. Uh, Lynn, yeah. when, when, when does the basketry group meet? We meet on the third Saturday of every month in the Elliott Centre at the Friends. So if you go on to the um, website, um, you'll find my name and my phone number 
and um, you can ring me and I'll um, give people details of, you know, where to meet and, and what to bring along. We usually bring our own lunch mm-hmm. and um, I usually have a few spare materials, but most people bring their own materials and um, and we, you know, chat about different techniques and help each other out. And Lynn, how long roughly would it take to make a small bowl, for example? Depending on what technique you're using, yeah. it would probably take oh, a day to two oh, days, quick. working um, six to seven hours a day. Ah, I thought you were going to say something like three weeks. That'd probably be me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you could take three weeks yep. because you can... You know, the beauty of basketry is you can um, get it up to a certain stage and then you can leave it for a while and you can go back to it. Yeah. Um, you don't have to finish it all in one go if you don't want to. Sounds and um, you know, I know my first basket that I made, uh, I think I took about four or five months to make <laughs> it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it depends on how much time you have. And because we meet on a Saturday... Um, and most of the girls that come actually work, um, most of them work full-time, and um, so they come on a Saturday, and that's the only time they have to do any basket-making. Okay. And so they'll be working on the same thing for, you know, a couple of months. And they'll just do a little bit each time they come along and um, enjoy our company. And yeah. how, how many are coming along on a Saturday morning, Lynn? We We have about half a dozen that come regularly. Yep. And there's about 15 on the mailing list. Each month I send out an email to everyone that's interested, uh, you know, reminding them of um, what we're doing the following Saturday. And, um, yes, we're, we're still building our numbers up. We would love some anybody who is interested in basket making, if you'd like to come along. Um, it's free to come along and visit the first time and then up thereafter we ask that you join the Friends of the Botanic Gardens yep. and um, and you bring your own lunch and we supply some tea and coffee. And, um, yes, it's a, it's a very interesting and diverse group of women. Lovely. Um, of course, men are welcome too. <laughs> <laughs> but we do find that um, women seem to really enjoy the basket making. Excellent. Mm. Okay. Lovely. Hey, Lynn, Lynn, we've had um, a phone call from one of our listeners outside. Yes. Um, if I put you back um, to uh, Liz, she yes. uh, she apparently, this listener, has a lot of basketry material that she can donate, etc., and oh, she wonderful. can fill you in and give you her contact number. Wonderful. Okay, so just, just hold on the line. And Thank thanks you, very Barbara. much for talking to us this morning. That was fascinating. Yep. Very interesting. You're welcome. Thank thanks, you. Lynn. Good on you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Yeah, the very small amount of research I've um, read about dying plants. Mm. I know that the plant, the colour that you get, doesn't necessarily re- relate to the yeah. colour of the plant, yeah. isn't that? Like onions, yeah. I think That's it right. is. I use and they, and they bring up a really bright yellow. And right. um, mm. but I, I do remember that one of the plants that they use. Um, for dying, for getting a really lovely blue, is the Indigofera australis. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, that, and there's people that you know dyed denim and that with mm. that with yeah. that plant. In, indigo. Yeah, indigo. Of, of course. Indigo. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Indigofera, there's Indigofera through China and Southeast mm. Asia and. Yeah. Um, but yeah. are they actually using the flower? Are they is that be, I think because I know that they soak it for a long time in big vats. But I'm actually I can't remember if it's the flower, which obviously is you, would, you know those blue you, hues. You would think you'd so. think so, but, yeah. But, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, indigo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
Okay. And dye and I think, is another one which provides a... Okay. Yeah, the berries uh, and the, the, the berries, berries yeah. As, as a dye. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder if, you know, if the plants, their cultivars, like the, the um, Dianella Tasmanica yeah. blaze, you know, yeah. with that really lovely deep burgundy foliage, I wonder if that holds on if you use it in basketry mm. and, um, you know, if it, yeah. it, you know, over time, if it still stays that lovely yeah. deep maroon colour, because that would save a bit of time. That would save a bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> Loretta, you've brought in a few bits and pieces. Oh. Well, yeah. we've got uh, a few minutes. Let's have a chance to talk okay. about them. Well, look, um, what I've got in here is absolutely the most basic selection to actually look at, and it's about the giving of our lovely native flora. Mm. And it's this has been going, Banksia um, birthday candles, and it's just still giving. And mm. It's been giving since April. May and it just goes and goes and goes. So I just thought it was a lovely thing to look into my garden this morning and think, there you are, you're still giving me. <laughs> so mm. I thought that was very simple and basic. And I've also got the Kudamundra wattle, which is not a bit naughty in a way, but um, it's the Acacia baleana and it's purpurea. So the giving is in the beautiful foliage, but the foliage also has that beautiful purple new mm. foliage. Mm. It's really lovely. And you've got this blaze of sprays golden, of sprays golden flowers. Of, yes, and I gave this to my mother because um, I put two in her uh, medium strip at the start of the front of the property because she's 92 and she can't hang around. So about five years ago, I gave her these and they're four, five, six metres tall. Fabulous. And flowering away. And, and flowering away. Yep. The other thing I've brought in is Ooh. the Hardenbergia. Um, and I've got the sort of oh, whitey pink. Well, no, there's two plants there's there. There's two plants. Into, 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 into one. Something I and didn't know. <laughs> she had um, for many excited. years a big old um, uh, tree fern. And it was about two metres tall. And it died and it had, had its day. This is an elfham. And I thought, I've already taken one of them out. And you don't want to dig them out. They're just horrendous. You've yes. got to cut them off, you know. But I thought many years ago, I'll just dig it out and we'll... Anyway, I said, Mum, leave that. And I bought her these, um, the, the beautiful purple, uh, sarsaparilla, and the white, which sort of gets a little bit of a pink tone as well. Mm. And we planted it at the base two years ago. And I drove in this morning with the headlights on and that was the first thing I saw and so now it, it's two and a half metres tall on this stand making it and it's just this apps it would be oh, a metre and a half plus wide right. mm. okay. and it is spectacular and I thought fabulous using the, the base of this old dead tree fern absolutely a stand it, a very natural stand and it sounds like it's supporting itself beyond that oh it's incredible yeah. so um so that's what I've brought in very simple but good old natives giving away in the winter oh and that yep. color. that's what I love about the acacias yeah. I mean they're yeah. They're coming out everywhere, everywhere. now, and yeah. here we are with all this miserable cold weather we've had, and yet you've got these golden hues yep. everywhere, and yep. it has to make you smile. Oh, it's, I'm, I have to say I'm not a fan of bright yellow flowers. I, mm. I really aren't, but this time of year when everything is dull and dismal, they do provide that real pop of cherry colour, don't they? Oh, they do. I mean, I, I just I, love it. I brought in um, three that are um, flowering in my area at the moment, so they're all local to my area, and I've got the... 
the genistifolia. Yep. Um, and um, that's, you know, very, very prickly, sparse shrub. But uh, it, it's probably one of my favourites just because it's kind of so weird and it's got those really... Like you. Th- exactly, <laughs> yeah. So it's really thin um, phyllodes which are thorny. And uh, what I've actually decided is I think plants... After you pick them, they become pricklier, and I, I'm sure it's because I'm sure it's because they're annoyed that that you picked them. I don't, maybe it's because they're dry. Maybe out, it's because you're handling it more. Yeah, yeah. But no, there, there's uh, there's there's a few that are in. Um, in flower in my area at the moment. So we've got the Pycnantha, the golden wattle, and that's got those um, the very typical um, golden globes, you know, and with the fairly thick, um, almost eucalypt-like leaves, yes, you know, yes. yeah, the, the phyllodes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes when acacias aren't in flower, you can get muddled up, can't yeah. you, yeah. trying to figure yeah. out yeah. what yeah. they are. Yeah. And um, the acacia paradoxa, which has um, it's disappeared somewhere, but the I brought waddles. that in. The hedge wattle, and yeah. that is one of those plants which mm. we were talking about as Fantastic, and you do see it them clumping up really well. Um, and they're oh, there it is there. Um, and they're fantastic for the little birds, mm. and they've got thorns in as well. And and it's interesting. All the plants that I did bring in, I've noticed they actually prefer those shady, damp conditions. And you know, John was um, briefly mentioned microclimates mm. earlier, and, and my area is really, it's microclimates are really obvious because we've got the east-facing hills, and there's lots of damp gullies. And then on the other side of the hill, where it gets that west sun, it's you know, Much it's drier. really rocky and, and dry, dry, and yep. and, and all the pea flowers are, you know, pop up there. So um, I also brought in our um, one of our local clematis, which I noticed very annoyingly. It's probably had a name change ages ago. It was microphylla and now it's um, decipiens. Mm. Um, oh. And, yeah, I did not know it had a name change, but mm. it's um, – Obviously re- related to the Clematis aristata, mm. yes. um, but mm. it uh, flowers a bit earlier than the aristata. And um, this one and the aristata are both found, you know, all the way from um, the tip of um, southeastern South Australia all the way around the coast up into just popping into Queensland and, you know, going to Tassie. So they've got a huge geographic area. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that one as well likes the uh, the moist gullies and at the moment, it's looking fabulous climbing over trees mm. and whatnot. And well, it's all at Tempe Point. It's right all through the foreshore. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous. There. Yeah. Yeah. On um, dunes, yeah. But it's, uh, we've also, the locals there, um, the Landcare Group, they've been a little bit, it's, it's out of control too. Okay. Like it's really, and the, land, the actual Landcare Group themselves, they're taking a lot of it back because it seems to be smothering, smothering mm. everything. Mm. And it almost looks to me as though you've got this incredibly tall canopy trees, you know, your eucalypts, and there's a mid-story missing. Yeah. I don't, and, and it, it's true. I don't know. Yeah. It seems to yeah. be something's missing. I've not known it to be ecologically out of balance, but it's sounding like it's happening it's just, down there. And yeah. it, it is really a bit out of control. Okay. Mm. I was surprised the land care. I mean, I'm going, I'm not part of their group at this stage. I haven't been there long enough, but just thinking, okay, well, I'm sure they're researching it. And, and they're removing it, actively and it, removing yeah, it. Pulling it, yeah. it back. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay. Let's uh, get to our next caller. We have Ian in Faulkner. Good morning, Ian. Hi, how are you going? We're well, thank you. That's good. Um, Look, just um, I'm, I'm asking about. Uh, I've got some in, a few indoor plants, not too many, just little ones in pots. Um, I've got. A, um, I recently bought a, a peace lily. Uh, I've got another plant which is. Um, what I've got is just a, a plant with uh, sort of broad leaves and and pink, like a pink flake sort of variegation going through it. I'm not sure what that would be. Probably, uh, possibly a cordial one. Possibly, yeah. I can't. 
can't remember what it was, but uh, I've just, um, I've never had that much luck with indoor plants. So I try and feed them and I try and not to water them too much and try to do all the right things, but they just seem to, they just seem to, yeah, die, basically. I'm just wondering if you can give me some tips on, you know, um, care and all that sort of thing. But I, I hang them in the kitchen window, which is, in, which is south facing. Uh, it doesn't get any direct sun, but it gets plenty of natural light. Uh-huh. Yeah, so. I think I think Ian, you you hit on the most important thing from for um, indoor plants, and I can certainly speak from experience that it's the overwatering in the cooler months that they just don't want. Now I've stopped watering my indoor plants. I think you know I give them about half a cup every you know couple of weeks at the most, and they are now starting to thrive. So mm. the, yeah. I think it's in the ignoring. Mm. Yeah. But, but it's also important to keep, they do like, a lot of our indoor plants are rainforest plants. They like that high humidity. So keeping a spray bottle, um, very, very handy. And I just spray as I walk past. So it's about keeping that humidity up, um, and, but not, not watering them. I, I think at times, I think at times with indoor plants, they, they possibly become so dry that when you water them, you're not really watering them. So that's the opposite, um, and and you, you you water in the water just rolls straight out at the base. So I've I, found with indoor plants that often soaking, just dunking them, um, you know, once a month even. Yeah, yeah. So they get a really, um, so they get a really yeah. good water and, and yeah. all that. You know, you dunk them in water and all that, all that. It just displaces all of the air and you're actually wetting up the root ball. Mm. Um, I've, I've found that that's worked quite well with indoor plants. You dunk them, you know, once a month. Oh yeah, and. and uh, and, yeah. and then walk away. And also at the same time, Ian, if you can dunk them in a bucket in the in the shower area, I learnt this from a a, um, um, a gentleman who has got a squillion indoor plants, and he swears by showering them. So um, you know, when they're Water. in the house, they get you know a dusty film on the leaves, which is an absolute killer for indoor plants. So just you know, when you're dunking them, give them a shower, remove that layer of dust. Oh yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll try that as well. Okay, no worries. Okay, well, good luck. Thanks very much. Do you feed them very much? Uh, not not during winter, definitely oh. not. Wait wait until the warmer months when they're actively growing. All right, no worries. Thanks for your help. Once a month. Thank thanks, you. Ian. See you. Bye. Bye. But uh, once a month at this time of year. Yeah, for dunking them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When yeah. things start to warm up. And, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it, because... They, indoor plants can be in areas where there's heating yep. um, and low humidity. And, That's right. Um, mm, yeah. it's, it's, it can be a challenging environment. It can you know, be. Low light, low humidity, Very much. sometimes high heat at this yeah. time of no year. No fresh air. No yeah. fresh air, yeah. Yeah. Not, no rainfall. Yeah. I, I like the rainfall thing. I think plants would genuinely appreciate being... Wetted down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know Lyle Philippe from uh, Roraima. He says, you know, we really should treat indoor plants like um, a bunch of flowers because they really don't want to be into. No, they don't. Indoors, no, they, don't. You know, they just yeah, <laughs> extending their life a bit. And ideally, if you could cycle them indoors. Yeah, and outdoors, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good exactly. for pest control too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Very quickly, we're going to go to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam, and everybody else. Hi, Jill. Um, yes, on Thursday, August the third. You there, Jill? Jill has disappeared. We're not to know what's happening on August the 3rd. Thursday, August the 3rd. What is happening? Jill, if you want to call us back um, very quickly because we've only got a minute or so left, but uh, 
We'll try and find out what's happening on August the 3rd. Something to do with the Herb Society, no yeah, doubt. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I heard someone say that really, strictly speaking, there's no such thing as an indoor plant. No, there's not. No. no. I mean, it's no. just us again well, trying yeah. to yeah. push the boundaries. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think um, lots of rainforest plants will sit as suppressed seedlings in really dark conditions. And, you know, so, it's, yeah, there's, there's low light. There's low light plants. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but not things that have evolved to be yeah. indoors. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we, we do have uh, Jill back online. You there, Jill? Yes, hello. Okay, don't know what happened then. Uh, I don't know either. Clive Larkman's coming from Romantic Herbs in Lilydale. Yes. And he's speaking about unusual herbs and bringing some. And, you know, he has uh, lots, of, lots of different herbs, masses of them. I went there three weeks ago. So that should be really fascinating. Okay, and give us the... Want to to buy, you know, some herbs at reasonable prices. Yeah. But the other day, you know, things like bronze fennel and uh, wallflowers, which are also herbs. So invite people. At Burnley, room 10. Right. And that's 500 Yarra Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And the times, Jill? Uh, 7.15 onwards. Okay, excellent. All and right. there's herb supper as well. Okay, thank you very much. Um, bye. Bye. Well, we do. We have run out for yet another week. Mm -hmm. Sundays seem to go very quickly. That's, some Sunday mornings, right. which is wonderful. Uh, a big thank you to all our listeners for phoning in. A huge thank you to the panel, to John, Loretta, and AB for uh, for being part of the program this morning. And also a big thank you, of course, to Liz, who's been handling all the phones for us this morning. Uh, we will be back, of course, next week. Uh, following the program now, we do have alternative news coming up but uh we will be back ourselves next week at 7 30 so until then bye for now you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information go to all the w's.3cr.org.au